And if you have your Bibles, be finding Psalm 120. Psalm 120. And uh, you'll notice that at the top of this song, there's a little superscription. And it ca it's called, uh, in the English Standard Version, a song of ascents, or ascending. And uh, I think it's the King James says, a song of degrees, degrees upward. Uh, some versions have songs for the steps, because they understood these psalms, these uh, which were songs that you sung as you ascended the 15 steps that went up to the temple. There's 15 of these psalms. They run from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Now the superscription that's at the top, the little title, is actually part of the text. It's part of the Bible. It's inspired by God and it's there to be noticed. And these 15 songs of ascending or these 15 songs to be sung in stages upward uh, are interpreted a couple of different ways. Uh, some say it was like the, the songs you would sing as you were going to church, as you're going to Zion, to the temple, to the tabernacle, in order to worship. Others think that it's songs or psalms that were sang or stated or confessed as people uh, observed the the experiences of those who were converted. In other words, you start out with Psalm 120 and you end up in Psalm 134. And just to give you a heads up, Psalm 120, the first of these songs of ascending or stages, he feels like he's under a woe, a curse, a judgment. But when you get to Psalm 134, he is being blessed from the temple. So from cursing to blessing. And it may be uh, that both of those have some truth in them. Deuteronomy 16 verse 16 says that there are three times a year all the men were to go, were to appear before the Lord at the temple. There was to be three national gatherings. They could have just sang these as they were going. But they could also have been describing their own experiences. So there's a kind of progression, a pilgrim's progress. Starting in Psalm 120, let's notice something here. Psalm 120, In my distress I called on the Lord, He answered me. 
Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What's going to be done to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? He talks about those who are characterized by betrayal and distrust. Verse 5 of Psalm 120. Woe to me, I sojourn in Meshach, and I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Those were... um, nomadic tribes. Uh, Kedar is a son of Ishmael, uh, modern-day Arabs. You might think of it in terms of Afghanistan or the Taliban or Chicago. <laughs> there, uh, you probably know this, but there's 150,000 gangs members of gangs, 150,000 gang members in Chicago. What he's saying is, woe to me. I'm under a curse. I'm under a judgment. I'm under a woe because I have to live here and with among the barbarians, the uncivilized. He says, verse 6, And I've been here too long. I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, verse 7. But when I speak, they are for war. He is dissatisfied with his condition. He's distressed. He's dissatisfied with his environment and the people. They are hostile and angry. He's dissatisfied with his Future with God because he feels like he's under a woe or a curse or a judgment, verse 5. Woe is me, verse 5. Verse 7, when I say anything or propose some new arrangement or suggest peace, express a desire to live differently, they don't listen. When I speak, they're for war. I want peace, peace with God and peace with others. So the Psalm 120 gives to us that original awakening of the soul as it moves toward God. It is disturbed. You'll never become a Christian until you're in distress. Then in Psalm 121, and we won't be able to look at all these obviously, but I just want to give you a a quick rundown. Psalm 121, what does he say? Uh, Verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He has decided that God the Creator is his help. And now he's going to look to that God. But notice how he puts it in verse 3. He that is the maker of heaven and earth, he will not let your foot be moved. He He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will not not slumber or sleep. Notice it's always you. It's not me. He is talking to somebody who is possibly on their way to worship. And he says, I, your God keeps you. 
Your God does not slumber. The God of Israel, what a God. Notice, this goes all the way through. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. Verse 6, the sun will not strike you. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and coming in. He's not made that personal. He doesn't feel like he's one of them, you see. He wants to be. And he's looking to God. Then in Psalm 122, in each one of these, remember, is a song of ascent. It's a stage up, a step up. And you see it in the little title at the top of each one of these psalms. Psalm 122. He gets an invitation. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. He said, you know what? That's what I need. I know that God keeps you. The God who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. That's in 121. But then in 122, somebody says, well... I'm going. Come with me. And he says, wow, I was glad when somebody finally invited me to go to church and worship. You know, they say even today that the the biggest thing that gets people in church who haven't been in church is not the preaching... Although I confess this could be an exception here, but uh, it's not the singing, it's not the, the building, it's a friend who's going to go and invite you to go with them. That's the number one thing that gets new people in church. Well, <clears throat> so somebody invited him. He said, uh, Come, let us go to the house of the Lord, verse 1. Verse 2, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. See, we've been there. We know what it's like. Come, go with us. Psalm 123, he makes his decision. Psalm 123, verse 3, he says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. He's lifting up his eyes now to the Lord, verse 1. He said, verse 3, have mercy on us, for we have had more than enough. (laughs) He said, I've had it. With the kind of life that people are living around me, with the kind of hostility and the environment, he said, I've had more than enough. Verse 4, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those at ease and the contempt of the proud. I'm done with them. I'm going to find a new way, a different way, a better way. I'm I'm, I'm done with these people and I'm going with these people to the house of God. See, he makes the decision. I I like the emotional... uh, commitment here he says in verse 3 we've had more than enough of their contempt do you ever just get fed up with the world 
Sometimes Jan will come into where I'm sitting and and uh, she, I hear her sigh. She'll just come in and stand by my chair and I'll say, you've been watching the news again, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I get it. The, what was once fake news, I have always regarded as hate news because they spew anger and bitterness and hate constantly. And if you constantly listen, you will absorb it. My soul has had enough. I'm headed to worship. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed for the blessing. In Psalm 124, he starts thinking about testimonies. As people talk about, man, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side. He's starting to hear testimonies. It's the same in in uh, Psalm 125, and he he ponders the examples. And in Psalm 126, it's the same, testimonies and examples. And as he's moving forward, taking steps toward God, toward worship, you have one Psalm 127 and 128. Again, these are songs of stages, degrees, steps, upward. And guess what those are, for, are, are about? The house, the family that the Lord builds. Psalm 127 starts out, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman wakes in vain. And he goes on and talks about the, the blessing of children, verse 3. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward do you know your children are a reward? But you know how the world views children? As a curse, a judgment, an inconvenience with a permission and a license that you can kill them in the womb. But not so the scripture. He starts thinking about how the people of God are different. They, they see their future in their children. They sacrifice for their children. And, they, and in Psalm 128, he says, uh, Psalm 127, he says, These children are like arrows in your quiver. And happy are you if your quiver is full of them. Amen. That's the biblical view of children. They're a blessing, a reward, and the more you have, the happier you'll be. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be a little timid there. He wants a Christian family. It motivates him. Psalm 128. You know what Psalm 128 is? Blessed is the man that walks in his ways. 
and again, you have family. Only the difference in Psalm 127 and 128 is Psalm 127 is the starting of the new home. Psalm 128 is the budding, the development, the maturity of the new home. It has the wife sitting at the table with children around about it, verse 3, and the Lord blessing them from Zion. And verse 6, you'll see your children's children in peace on Israel. Even grandparents. And what he's saying is, remember these are stages up. He's saying, I want to go. I want to leave Meshach and Kedar. When I speak, they're peace, they're for war. But I want, I hear testimonies. I've got this invitation. I'm going with them. I've made a decision that I've, I've had more than enough. And I want a family like they have. I want... I want the Lord to build my house. And I want my children around my table. And I want to be one day a grandfather who can see the blessing on the third generation. That's motives to go to church, to go to worship, to go to God. That's motive, see. In Psalm 129, he contrasts it with his own youth and how he has scars. Psalm 129, 3, the plowers plowed my back and made long furrows. I've got the scars of not being raised right. Some will understand what I just said. But he uses it as a motivation to keep going toward God. Not as a discouragement to drag him down. I'm going to have a Christian home. And I'm going to be a grandfather that sees God's blessing on a third generation. In Psalm 130... He's starting to anticipate his arrival because there is where he would be forgiven with the sacrificial system. That's where the priest would come and pronounce you forgiven by the God of heaven and earth. Psalm 130, another song of ascent. All of these are songs of stages or steps up. He says, out of the depths, Psalm 130 verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Verse 3, If you marked iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He's longing now for forgiveness. He's anticipating receiving the blessing of being forgiven. But he doesn't have it yet because in verse 5 he says, I wait for the Lord. He's still waiting for it. He doesn't feel like he has it yet. In his word do I hope. Verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord. He's anticipating. It's, It's building up in Psalm 130. And then in Psalm 131 and 132 and 133, these are all psalms in which he... He tells himself to settle down. He's quiet, quieting himself because he's so anxious. 
and he contemplates where he's going. Psalm 132 and 3. And he's not actually going, at this stage, um, the, the actual mosaic tabernacle was in Gibeon. But he's going to the Davidic tent in Jerusalem. And you read where under David and Solomon, there were actually two places to go. One, you could go to the Mosaic Tabernacle, according to the law of Moses, and they kept everything right there. But the Davidic Tabernacle was where even Gentiles could come and go right in to the presence of God. So he contemplates in 132 the Tabernacle of David, how David brought the ark up to Jerusalem even while the sacrifices were in Gibeon. So he contemplates that. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to David's tent. And then, in Psalm 133, he starts thinking about what it will be like. The high priest anointed and the people of God in unity. See, that's different from Psalm 120 when he said, when I speak peace, therefore war. Here is unity and peace. He can't wait to get there. He can't wait to get there. Even, <clears throat> he says, Psalm 133, verse 3, it's like the dew of, of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, now notice this, there the Lord commands the blessing and life forevermore. Eternal life. There I'll get the blessing and there I'll get eternal life. He can't wait. In fact, the last of these uh, 15 Psalms is Psalm 134. Again, it's a song of ascent or, or stage up. <clears throat> and when he arrives, it's night. Well, maybe we should wait until morning. But he's adamant. He's determined. He wants to get there. But it's going to be midnight when we get there. Are the priests going to be praying at midnight? <laughs> Look at it. Psalm 134, verse 1. Oh, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Stand by night. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And verse 3 gives the priestly response, May the Lord bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. Now here's the thing you have to watch about Psalm 134. It doesn't, uh, first reading, it doesn't seem like that's the climax. It seems a little dull for the fin grand finale. But 
It's the priest, the servants of the Lord, standing by night. Listen to 1 Chronicles 9.33. Now these singers, the heads of the Levites, were in the chamber of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. David had commissioned the priesthood, a section of the priesthood, to be there day and night. So you could go at any time. And what would the priests be doing? They had a sacrifice in the morning. They had a sacrifice at night. The one in the morning covered the day. The one at night covered the night. And when you arrived, when this when this soldier, when this pilgrim arrived at night, there were the priests. And what were they doing? Verse 3, lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. What does that convey? In the Davidic worship, 1 Chronicles 16, 1 and 2, they brought in the ark of God and put it inside the tent that David pitched. And they offered their offerings before God. And when David had finished the offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. For those priests to raise their hands and bless you meant the sacrifice was finished. And now what remains is simply the pronouncement of forgiveness and favor from the God of heaven. He's arrived and the finished sacrifice awaited him. He didn't even have to bring it. It was provided for him. See, in the same way when someone comes to worship God in a New Testament gospel church, we don't come with a set of calendars and schedules and rituals. We come with a finished work. We come with hands outstretched to bless you and pronounce divine favor as the grace and gift of God would provide it. This is what Jesus in Luke 24, 50, after his, re- his death and resurrection, he led them out, Luke 24, 50, as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. See, he'd already made the offering of himself. So now he lifts up his hands to bless. Peace be to you. Favor from God be to you. Forgiveness. Atonement. And that's the idea. And it says in in Luke 24, after his death and resurrection, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted and was carried parted from them was carried up into heaven. How did Jesus go into heaven? What was their last view of Jesus? With his priestly hands outstretched, the last thing they saw of Jesus was the priestly blessing, the pronouncement of forgiveness and the finished work behind him. Man. So here in Psalm 134, the priest says in verse 3, May the Lord bless you from, from Zion, the place of Zion, the place of, of worship. May the Lord bless you. 
Remember in Psalm 120 when he starts out, he says, Woe is me. Cursed is me. I'm under judgment. For I live among a people who are angry and hostile. But now at the end, these people are not hostile. They are blessing him. It's not woe. It's not a judgment. It's a blessing. There's the apex of his worship. Go, they would say, with divine favor. Go with God's presence. Go with his atonement and his hand upon you. So let me just kind of summarize this now for us. These 15 psalms, psalms of stages. here's, Here's my first impression as I was working through these, uh, one is there are stages to a person becoming a Christian. Um, You know, he starts out just with disturbed heart, distress in Psalm 120. And then he gets an invitation from someone, Psalm 122. And he starts thinking about the examples he's seen, the testimonies, and where he's going, and what's motive. I want a Christian family. There are things that are that move you toward God and toward conversion. Sometimes we have a role in that. I don't think we can say that any one person brings another person to Christ. It's a series of events and people and impressions over time. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I planted, but Apollos, he came along, he was another preacher, he watered, and God gave the growth. I have my part, they have their part, they have their part. Maybe it's a service, maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's a neighbor. We had a lady one time come to church and she was telling us about the lady next door. She'd lived there for years. She didn't know she was having an influence and this lady said to her, you know, I've watched you for years on Sunday morning. Get in your car and go to church. Your faithfulness has impressed me. And she was giving us this testimony. Lived right next door to her. She didn't have any idea that that was impressing her. Many of us sow a seed, do a deed that helps someone in their progress to conversion. Another observation is, is this. God disturbs us to change us. The first psalm of ascent is Psalm 120. And there's where he says, the first things out of his mouth is, in my distress, I called on the Lord. He's in distress. The Holy Spirit becomes the comforter for the Christian who is in in mourning. But the Holy Spirit becomes the disturber of peace to those who are not Christians. He wants you to see your condition. And it's interesting, sometimes I hear Christians say, 
uh, the, the church is so full of hypocrites. I'm going to go back to the world. But actually in Psalm 120, being in the world is what made him go to church. Because it's the opposite. One final point, and that is the apex of our conversion, of our progress, of our week is in worship. Is, these are songs of ascent. The highest you can go, it ends at Psalm 134. There's no more songs of ascent after that. But the apex is when you're there, hearing of the finished work of the sacrifice and getting the blessing of the Lord. Starting with woe in 120 verse 5, ending with blessing in 134, verse 3. As Bud comes to close us with song, let me just uh, add one point here. There's 15 of these psalms. Uh, I've been sharing with some of you. We're going to reopen Bristol Road on the 16th. So do you know how many songs of ascent there are? 15. Do you know how many days to August 16th is? 15. So if I got my math right, and I think I do, I'm not that great but on math, but, uh, but let me tell you, take one of these psalms. If you're from Bristol Road and you want to join us August 16th, take one psalm and just ponder it from now till August 16th and get, get those ascending emotions and we will have the zenith of worship on the 16th at Bristol Road at 10 a.m. And we'll have worship. Amen? Yeah, of course. It's the apex. <laughs> it is the apex. And God bless each one of you. And don't forget to bring your children to Vacation Bible School.